This is an encore broadcast of Streams in the Desert Live. Welcome to Streams in the Desert Live, an interactive prophetic talk show with pastor, evangelist, and prophetic teacher, Dana Bohansky, senior pastor of Streams in the Desert Ministries and House Church, where we look at the headlines of our daily news in light of Bible prophecy and give you, the listener, an opportunity to call in to ask questions and share information regarding the signs of the times. This ministry is dedicated to the preaching and teaching of the unadulterated word of the one and only true and living God under the power and anointing of God's Holy Ghost. Streams in the Desert Live is an expansion of Streams in the Desert Ministries. Now, here's your host, Pastor Dana. Shalom and blessings in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Pastor Dana, and I once again would like to thank you for joining me today, September 6, 2017, for the Streams in the Desert Live internet radio broadcast, coming to you live from the beautiful and breathtaking studios of StarWorldWideNetworks.com where we look at the headlines of our daily news in light of Bible prophecy. Today's topic title is Israel, Sukkot, and the Coming War of Gog and Magog. But before we get started, let us pray. Father God, we humbly come before your throne this day. Lord God, we bow down spiritually speaking. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you've yet to do. We ask that you'd send the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit to send this word that you have prepared around the world to the ears, hearts, minds, souls, and spirits to your people, Lord God, that they would be ready, watching, waiting for the imminent return of your one and only begotten Son, who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you for taking my place on the cross today. And through that name, that precious and holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command in the name of Jesus that every foul spirit, every hindering spirit, every spirit of lust, control, and pride, and wickedness, be bound this very hour in the name of Jesus Christ. We command that it be done, and we plead the blood of Jesus against you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen and amen. Well, folks, greetings to you all once again from wherever you are in the world as you join me, your host, Pastor Dana, today for another compelling episode of Streams in the Desert Live Internet Radio Broadcast. As we open the show for today, there are many, many events that have are now and soon will be taking place in our world. First, we have the ongoing situation with North Korea and the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, of which has come and gone, but not without leaving death and much destruction, mostly in the state of Texas, centered along the coastline and the fourth largest city in America being Houston. Our hearts and prayers are with our family and all who have been devastated by Harvey. We are now looking at the potentially catastrophic Hurricane Irma, of which was, at the writing of these notes at 3 a.m. this morning, still at Category 5 with sustained wind speeds of 185 miles an hour, of which are said to be gusting to well over 200 miles an hour. In the same time, we are as well keeping a watchful eye on at least two other tropical storms that could possibly, sometime in the near future, begin to threaten the U.S. Not to mention, as a country, we are still facing the uncertainty of what Congress will or will not do concerning the U.S. budget and the raising of the debt ceiling before September 30th, 2017. 
America as well has its hands full with a whole new urgent situation of which we need each one of us to keep an eye on that was made known to us just yesterday, September 5th, 2017, when President Trump finally and officially ended the so-called DREAM Act that involves over 800,000 children born to parents of whom have entered the U.S. illegally. In other events, my friends, we have our eyes on that. In other events, we've had our eyes on that which has been dubbed the Great American Eclipse, which took place simultaneously on August 21st, 2017, with the first day of the Jewish month of Elul, which is a 30-day period of introspection leading up to Rosh Hashanah, or as it is biblically called, the Feast of Trumpets, and is the first day of Israel's new year of 5778 on the secular or civil Jewish calendar. And arrives this year on September 21st, 2017, and at the same time marks what is called the 10 days of awe, or the 10 days of repentance, leading up to the Day of Atonement, Israel's most solemn religious fast observance in the Jewish calendar year of which is as well known as Yom Kippur and will be celebrated September 30th, 2017. Going back for just a moment to touch base on a very interesting side note concerning something else that will be taking place this year during the 10 Days of Awe, of which will take place on the third day of the 10-day period, of which will be the first Sabbath of the Jewish New Year in and is, rather, slated for September 23rd, 2017, and is being called the Sign of Revelation 12, and is said to be a once-in-a-lifetime display in the heavenlies of a depiction of that which is recorded in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, of which is, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. My friends, with all of these things going on, and a whole lot more in America and the world at large, sometimes becomes very distracting and keeps our eyes off of other things that are just as important, if not even more important, such as what took place on August 24, 2017, concerning God's timepiece, which is Israel. On August 24th, something took place of great prophetic interest, which was that President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kirchner, met with both Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as well as President of the Palestinians, Mahmoud Abbas, and was recorded in our first piece, our first prophetic piece, my friends, of the day, brought to us by way of Joel B. Pollock, writer for Breitbart.com, dated August 23, 2017, and is titled, listen up, my friends, Palestinians to Jared Kirshner, in 45 days, we blow up your peace process. Of which the writer, Mr. Pollock, begins by stating the Palestinian Authority reportedly plans to give White House envoy Jared Kirshner an ultimatum when he visits Ramallah on Thursday, of which was, my friends, delivered and is that Israeli concessions need to be given in 45 days or we will blow up the peace process and go to the UN. The writer then says the ultimatum marks a stunning reversal in negotiating posture since Kirshner officially, officially took up the task of negotiating a deal between Israelis and Palestinians on behalf of his father-in-law, President Donald Trump. 
At the start of the administration, the Palestinian leadership was so shocked by Trump's election victory that they did not even know who to call in the White House. They were fearful of the incoming administration, which was stacked with pro-Israeli advisors and appointees, and which was determined to upset the Beltway consensus about everything, especially the Middle East. Trump and Kirshner had virtually unprecedented negotiating leverage. The leverage was enhanced when Trump set aside the two-state solution, accepted existing settlements in Judea and Samaria, and made a regional alliance with Arab states a higher priority than satisfying the Palestinians. The writer goes on to say, had the U.S. Embassy in Israel been moved to Jerusalem right away, that would have cemented Israel's sovereignty in its historic capital and forced the Palestinians to offer concessions to avoid losing any foothold in the city altogether. An embassy move may still, be, may still happen, they say, but in the interim, it was delayed to appease the Palestinians who offer nothing in return for Trump's delay except vow to continue using U.S. taxpayer money to pay terrorists and their families. Continuing on, the writer points out, Trump prioritized the goal of a peace agreement as every administration before him has done, signaling to the Palestinians that they could once again make demands in exchange for their mere participation in the peace talks. Mr. Pollack goes on to interject, the new tone was signaled by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, who attacked the Trump administration earlier this week ahead of Kirshner's visit. He is so clearly emboldened by the American media's treatment of the president and the pervasive belief among Democrats and some Republicans that Trump will not be in office long. A report in Al Monitor, he says, details the ultimatum that Abbas plans to present to Kirshner, a senior Palestinian authority who spoke on conditions of anonymity, said a decision has been reached after lengthy negotiations at top PA levels, including consultations with its team of Trump experts to present Kirshner Kirshner and Greenblatt with a clear ultimatum. Unless, prog- unless progress is made within 45 days on launching talks with the Israelis, the Palestinians will consider themselves no longer committed to the U.S. channel and will turn to, get this, my friends, an alternative plan on which they have been working for the past two years. That is interesting, my friends. The Trump administration has hoped to use pressure for, from Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and other Sunni states to force the Palestinians to make concessions. But Kershaw, was, but Kershaw will not be able to draw on those allies either, not after the Trump administration cut aid to Egypt over human rights concerns earlier. The administration had put national security objectives first, no longer, And Kirshner knows it after being snubbed by Egypt's foreign minister on Wednesday. The writer of this Breitbart.com article in Moving Forward shares, now barely half a year after Kirshner began his Sisyphe task, the Palestinians are dictating demands to the U.S. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor H.R. McMasters, whose support for Israel is in doubt and who reportedly nixed the idea of Netanyahu accompanying Trump to the Western Wall, is exerting more control over Kirshner's mission. Trump's biggest deal of them all is far from reach and a 
chance to secure Israel's future is being lost. And on that very interesting note, my friends, I will be right back after the break to share more with you on Israel Sukkot and the coming war of Gog and Magog. Jubilee, just to let you know, will never be celebrated again on this earth. It has not been celebrated in Israel for since before the first temple was destroyed. And the next time it is celebrated will be in the millennial kingdom time. The Lord Jesus Christ made that clear at the Last Supper. Go read it, my friends. It's a mystery. My friends, we truly are living in the days as they were during the time of Elijah, which was noted as being a time where Israel, the apple of God's eye, had for the most part, such as the world today, including America, turned away from the one and only true and living God, creator of heaven, earth, all mankind, as well as the land and people of Israel. 
With that said, we now pick up where we left off before the break with this piece that was published just this morning, September 6, 2017, by Haras.com, one of Israel's leading mainstream media news publications, written by Barak Ravid, Haras diplomatic correspondent, and is titled... Trump to meet Netanyahu and Abbas on sidelines of UN to advance peace talks. Senior Palestinian officials say Kirshner and Greenblatt did not give Abbas a clear timetable for the peace initiative, but said, listen up, my friends, it might happen before the end of the year. That is important news to those who are watching the signs of the times. This piece begins with the writer stating U.S. President Donald Trump is expected to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly in two weeks to discuss his planned peace initiative senior Israeli and Palestinian officials told Haras. These would be Trump's first meetings with Netanyahu and Abbas since his visit to Israel and the Palestinian Authority in May. The writer continues by sharing a senior White House official said Trump plans to meet with a long list of world leaders on a wide range of issues during the General Assembly session in New York, and a complete list will be published once his schedule is finalized. He added that talks with Netanyahu and Abbas uh, about Trump's peace initiative will take place before the General Assembly and will continue afterwards. Senior Israeli-Palestinian officials Senior Israeli and Palestinian officials who asked to remain anonymous said discussions are now being held about the exact dates for the meetings, which will apparently take place between September 17th and 19th. The meeting with Netanyahu is also expected to address a long list of other diplomatic and security issues, including the Iranian nuclear agreement and arrangements in Syria. But this will be the first time since Trump's visit to Israel in May that he has had an opportunity to speak directly with Netanyahu and Abbas about his idea for a peace initiative. Trump is still uh, determined to try to achieve the ultimate deal between Israel and the Palestinians. A few weeks ago, he told his senior aides on the issue, his son-in-law, Jared Kirshner, special envoy to the peace process, Jason Greenblatt, and U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, Friedman, that achieving an Israeli-Palestinian peace deal is still one of his top foreign policy priorities. Kirchner and Greenblatt, who recently visited uh, Jerusalem and Ramallah and several Arab capitals, returned to Washington encouraged, especially because they managed to, listen, my friends, convince Abbas to stay with the peace process and give them additional time to finalize their plans instead of breaking the rules through a new unilateral move against Israel at the General Assembly. Senior Palestinian officials said Trump's advisors told Abbas that the U.S. president wanted to meet with him during the General Assembly. And this was one of the things that convinced Abbas to agree to the American request to give the White House a chance to try to make progress. Though Kirshner and Greenblatt didn't give Abbas a clear timetable for unveiling the peace initiative, they said it might happen before the end of the year. The officials added, the Americans said that they needed more time to draft something and asked Abu Mazen not to make international moves like joining additional U.N. agencies or launching proceedings at the International Crime Court in The Hague. Uh, One said, referring to Abu, by 
Abbas, by his nickname, Abu Mazen, agreed to this request in the hope that during the coming months, the administration really will present a plan or a position that could constitute a real basis for restarting the diplomatic process. One person surprised by U.S. officials' optimism was U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who met with uh, Greenblatt during his own visit to Israel for a briefing on the administration's efforts to achieve a breakthrough in the peace process. Several Israelis who met with Guterres as well as U.N. diplomats, said his impression was that the White House hopes to finish drafting its peace plan by the end of the year. But the Americans' optimism was bolstered by the great support they received from the Arab leaders they met with in Riyadh, uh, Abu Dhabi, Amman, and Cairo before coming to Jerusalem and Ramallah. Kirchner and Greenblatt persuaded both King Abdullah of Jordan and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman uh, of Saudi Arabia to call Abbas and encourage him to give the American move a chance. Both Arab leaders told Abbas that they got the impression that Trump's initiative was serious, that his intentions were good, and he's committed to advancing the process. They also told Abbas he should give the White House enough time and space to draft an initiative that could succeed. The regional visits were important because they, the Arabs, were all very optimistic about what the president might be able to do on the peace process. A senior White House official said, the Arab leaders are willing to roll up their sleeves and try to help us achieve something historic. Both Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Abbas see this as an opportunity we were pleased by the meetings, the senior official added, that aside from two weeks devoted to uh, finding a solution to a crisis over the Temple Mound that erupted in July, the White House is very happy with the, pe- with the pace of progress so far. Are things happening according to plan? President Trump only met Abbas and Netanyahu in May. He said, that's four months ago. We have done a lot. We not only have the Israelis and Palestinians engaged in important conversations, we also have the Arabs engaged in a serious, positive, and optimistic way. But despite Abbas's decision to give the American move another chance, Ramallah is still very frustrated by the fact that the White House has yet to voice support for the two-state solution, opting instead to maintain to be neutral on this issue. The Palestinians are also uh, troubled that the U.S. administration hasn't publicly criticized construction in the settlements. Senior Palestinian officials said that instead of resuming his international campaign during the UN General Assembly, Abbas will make do with the delivery of a forceful, scathing speech. In it, they said, he will likely ask the world to take concrete action to save the two-state solution and hint that the PA, or the Palestinian Authority, won't be able to survive if there is no diplomatic horizon and Israel's settlement policy continues. Now, with the stage set, so to speak, there is just one more little teeny-weeny itsy-bitsy thing that I have not mentioned to you yet. And that is that on the evening of October 4th, 2017, the Feast of Sukkot, Booths, Tabernacles, or as it is as well known, the Feast of the Ingathering, will begin at sundown. Listen up, my friends. This is where it gets very interesting. It is an eight-day celebration in remembrance of the Lord God delivering the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, 
and is marked by a week of joyous festivities, including the making and living in of what is called a booth, and is in remembrance of the shelter given by the Lord God to the children of Israel during the 40 years of wandering in the desert. But, astonishingly enough, my friends, there is another little talked about, if at all, symbolism of this feast of the Lord called Sukkot. And it is going to this year coincide with something that Abbas team alluded to when meeting with Jared Kirshner on August 24th. 2017, of which was the statement made that is this, unless progress is made within 45 days on the launching talks with, on launching talks with Israelis, the Palestinians will consider themselves no longer committed to the U.S. channel and will turn to an alternative plan on which they have been working for the past two years. My friends, from the time of the just-mentioned meeting between the Palestinian leaders and Jared Kirshner on August 24, 2017, moving ahead 45 days would put the end date as, uh, as October 8, 2017, and would be right smack dab in the middle of the eight-day celebration of Sukkot. Here's why I believe that the Lord has shown me that it is very important. It is a very important time, and it is a very important time to keep a prophetic eye on this. First, the scriptures read on the Sabbath during this celebration are from Numbers chapter 29, verses 17 through 25, and are concerning the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which was just going to be celebrated on the 30th of September, before the Sukkot begins on October 4th, my friends. The next set of scriptures is found in Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, and concerns the renewal of the covenant between God and Israel. The third scripture is found in Exodus 34, verse 26, and is concerning the beginning, or rather the bringing in of the first fruits unto the Lord God from the increase of the land. And was at the same time a sealing of God's covenant between him and, at that time, Moses and Israel. And last, but in no way least, are the scriptures found in Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, I know I got your attention with that. Verse 18 and 39, Ezekiel 39, verse 16, that speak of a soon coming time when Gog comes against Israel And God shows up in all his fury to fight for Israel, which gives way to God hiding and protecting a type and shadow of Sukkot, my friends, Israel during the time of Jacob's trouble, or in other words, during the soon coming time of the great tribulation. Our next piece gives legs to this stance and is from a Jewish perspective, as reported by Dr. Uh, Rivka Lombard-Adler from October 1st, 2015 for BreakingIsraelNews.com and is titled, The Surprising Connections Between Sukkot and the War of Gog and Magog. 
of which the writer begins by sharing, there are signs both in the current events and in Jewish tradition that point to the possibility that the war of Gog and Magog prophesied in the book of Ezekiel and Zechariah will happen on the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, or the Feast of Trumpets, my friends, same holiday. The writer goes on to say, the apocalyptic war of Gog and Magog, the final war that is part, that is part of the messianic process, is mentioned in two places in the Bible. In the book of Ezekiel, starting in chapter 38, and in the book of Zechariah, beginning in chapter 12. He further states the connection between the war, listen up, my friends, you'll want to hear this. It's a great prophetic news. The connection between the war of Gog and Magog and Sukkot is made explicit in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, where it is discussed the annual celebration in Jerusalem of Sukkot following the war of Gog and Magog. On the Sabbath that falls during the week of Sukkot, the selection of the books of prophets that are read in synagogues all across the world comes from the book of Ezekiel 38, 18, and 39, 16. This passage discussed the war of Gog and Magog, which is predicted, or prophesied, my friends, to come before the final, listen up, my friends, redemption of the Jewish people. With that said, my friends, some may be asking, just what is Gog and Magog? Not to worry. Here's a neat little rundown, my friends, on just that as seen on gotquestions.com, of which begins by stating, historically speaking, Magog was a grandson of Noah, Genesis chapter 10, verse 2. They go on to share the descendants of Magog settled to the far north of Israel, likely in Europe or northern Asia, Ezekiel 38, verse 2. Magog seems to be used to refer to northern barbarians in general, but likely also has a connotation to Magog the person. The people of Magog are described as skilled warriors, Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 15 and Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 3 through 9. Gog and Magog are referred to in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and in Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8. While these two instances carry the same names, listen up, my friends, because this is something most people don't get. A close study of Scripture clearly demonstrates they do not refer to the same people and events. In Ezekiel's prophecy, Gog will be the leader of a great army that attacks the land of Israel. Gog is described as uh, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. Ezekiel's battle of Gog and Magog occurs in the tribulation period, more specifically in the first Three and a half years, my friends. It's what's going to take us into the second three and a half years, which any Christian should not be here for, my friends. The strongest evidence for this view is that the attack will come when Israel is at peace, Ezekiel 38, verse 8 and 11. The description from Ezekiel is that of a nation that has security and has laid down its defenses. Israel is definitely not at peace now, and it is inconceivable that the nation would lay down its defenses apart from some major event. Aha, my friends, it's called the signing of a peace treaty soon and very soon that will start the 
time of the tribulation events. When Israel's covenant with the beast or the Antichrist is in effect, the writer says, at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, or in other words, the last seven years of this world as we have known it, which is also called the seven years of tribulation. Daniel 9.27 mentions this. Israel will be at peace. Possibly the battle will occur just before the midpoint. Just like I said, it's going to take us into the second half. When you better be watching, ready, waiting, and praying for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're not going to be here for the second half of those seven years of tribulation, my friends. Daniel 9.27, Israel will be at peace. Possibly the battle will occur just before the midpoint of the seven in uh, midpoint of the seven-year period. According to Ezekiel, Gog will be defended by Gog will be defeated by God himself on the mountains of Israel. The slaughter will be so great it will take seven months to bury all the dead. Ezekiel. 39, 11, and 12. Gog and Magog are mentioned again in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. The duplicated use of the name Gog and Magog in Revelation 28 and 9 is to show that these people demonstrate the same rebellion against God and antagonism towards God as those in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. It is similar to one today calling a person the devil because he or she is sinful and evil. We know that the person is not really Satan, but because their person that because that person shares similar characteristics, he or she might be referred to as the devil. The book of Revelation uses Ezekiel's prophecy about Magog to portray the final end-time attack on the nation of Israel, Revelation 20, 8 and 9. The results of this battle is that all are destroyed, and Satan will find his final place in the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. Verse 10, it is important to recognize that the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 is quite different from the one in Revelation chapter 20 verses 7 and 8. Below are some of the more obvious reasons why these refer to different people and different battles. And this is something I've always known, my friends. I, I was able, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, he gave me the ability, uh, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that only comes from his throne, to discern the fact that this is quite a different battle. This is the only reason I would stand to use someone else's writing. It has to totally agree, not with me, but with the word of God. Number one, the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the armies come primarily from the north and involve only a few nations of the earth, Ezekiel 38, 6, 15, 39, 2. The battle in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9, will involve all nations, so armies will come from all directions and not just from the north. My friends, the battle in uh Revelation chapter 20 is called the Battle of Armageddon because it's fought in Megiddo, Israel, and it is the Battle of Armageddon. Number two, there is no mention of Satan in the context of Ezekiel 38 and 39. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 7, the context clearly places the battle at the end of the millennial kingdom time with Satan as the primary character. Number three, Ezekiel 39 verses 11 and 12 state that the dead will be buried for seven months. There would be no need to bury the dead if the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the one described in Revelation 20 verses 8 and 9 for immediately following the Revelation 28 and 9 battle, 
is the great white throne judgment day of God, my friends. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. I use those scriptures quite often. And then the current or present heaven and earth are destroyed, replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. There obviously will be a need to bury the dead if the battle takes place in the early part of the tribulation. For the land of Israel will be occupied for another 1,000 years the length of the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Number four. The battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is used by God. Listen up, my friends, because this is paramount. This is so important. The battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog that is just around the proverbial corner, is used by God to bring Israel back to him. Ezekiel 38 or rather 39, verses 21 through 29. In Revelation chapter 20, Israel has been faithful to God for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom time, my friends. The millennial kingdom. Those in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, who are rebellious are destroyed without any more opportunity for repentance. My friends, With that said, let us now take a look at a timeline of the Great Tribulation, of which is also called the time of Jacob's or Israel's trouble. Once again, GotQuestions.com has packed this subject into a neat package of easy understanding and has titled it, What is the Timeline of Jacob's Trouble? This piece begins by sharing the phrase, the time of Jacob's trouble, is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, which says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall save him, but he shall be saved, rather, out of it all. The Lord God is going to save those in Israel that will turn to his one and only begotten son, who is none other than Jesus Christ. Because no one gets off the face of this earth and receives eternal life, my friends, unless you believe and have a personal relationship with this Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's terms, not mine, but it's the truth. They go on to say, the writer does, In the previous verses of Jeremiah chapter 30, we find that the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah the prophet about Judah and Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms, in other words, of the state of Israel in uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, the Lord promises that one day in the future, he will bring both Judah, which is the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is and where the temples both stood, and Israel, which is the northern kingdom, which was destroyed eons ago for their lack of worshiping the Lord and following false gods to never be risen upon the face of this planet Again, so far, my friends. So he says that uh, one day in the future, he promises that he will bring back to the land Judah and Israel that he had promised to their forefathers. This is the Lord God's promise. Verse 5 describes a time of great fear and trembling. Verse 6 describes this time in a way that pictures men going through the pains of childbirth. Again, indicating a time of agony. That's all it is. It's a a, a type and shadow of the agony that they're going through, my friends. But, or it's a depiction, shall we say, because it's a, it's a, reflection of the agony they're going through at this time that is soon to come upon this earth and especially in the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of great tribulation. But the writer says there is hope for Judah and 
Israel. For though this is called the time of Jacob's distress or trouble, the Lord promises he will save Jacob or Israel, my friends, referring to Judah and Israel out of this time of great trouble in verse 7 of Jeremiah chapter 30. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 10 through 11, the Lord, the Lord says, Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all the nations, whether I have scattered thee, ye will not, yea, yet, I, the Lord says, I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. The writer goes on to say, also, the Lord says, he will destroy the nations who held Judah and Israel in captivity. And he will never allow Jacob to be completely destroyed. However, it should be noted that the Lord describes this as a time of discipline for his people. He says of Jacob, though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scattered you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 says, The day is great, so that none is like it. The only time period that fits, my friends, the writer says, is the period of the time of the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. This time is unparalleled in history. The writer as well says that Jesus described the tribulation using some of the same imagery as Jeremiah in Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 through 8. He states that the appearance of false Christs, wars, rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes are the beginning of birth pains. The writer as well states that Paul, too, described the tribulation as birth pains. First, Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, verse 3 says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This event follows the rapture, my friends, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of great tribulation, as the writer says, comes right on the heels of the rapture, after the church has been taken out of the way. Then it's time for God to go back and reacquaint his people to him so that they will not all be lost. This event follows the rapture and the removal of the church, and that is found in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul reemphasizes the absence of the church from this time period by saying, For God has not appointed us to wrath, because we followed his son, Jesus Christ, his one and only begotten son. We've accepted that he's the only atonement for sin, my friends, and that is what the Lord is going to revisit with the Jewish people, that it's not about a symbolic uh, just retrospection of your bad deeds. It is believing that his one and only begotten son, who is Jesus Christ, went to the cross, shed his precious and holy blood for the remission and covering of all mankind's sin, that is, of all mankind that will call upon his name. And his name is Jesus. Paul reemphasizes the absence of the church from this time period by saying, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but by salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The wrath spoken of here, the writer says, is God's judgment on the unbelieving world and his discipline of Israel during the time of great tribulation, my friends, or the time of Jacob's trouble. They are simultaneously exactly the same three and a half year time period when the Antichrist is ruling and reigning in full measure, allowed by God, and then he destroys them. God comes, Jesus Christ comes in his second coming with us in tow on white horses and fine white linen, the word of God says, and destroys the Antichrist and all unbelievers that are on this earth at that time with the word of his mouth. And they're cast, my friends, into the lake of fire at that time. These birth pains are described in detail in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6 through 12. Uh, Part of the purpose of the tribulation is to bring Israel back to the Lord. For those who have received Christ as Savior from sin, the time of Jacob's trouble is something for which we should praise the Lord. For it is it's a demonstration that God keeps his promises. And he has promised us eternal life through Christ our Lord. And he has promised land, seed, and blessing to Abraham and his physical descendants. However, before he fulfills those promises, he will lovingly but firmly discipline discipline the nation of Israel so that they return to him. My friends, this year, in all the things that have happened since the great American eclipse, has been nothing short but prophecy coming right off the pages of the Bible. Because, you know, there was a 45-day period, and we talked about how it hits right in the middle of the celebration of Sukkot. But if you go back to the day of the Great American Eclipse and count 45 days, it takes you to the eve, the evening of the beginning of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lord, he works in patterns, he works in numbers, and it's all in his word, the book, the Bible, my friends. So it's not something that we make up as we go through life and we just decide, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. No, it's through the guiding, the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that only comes from the throne of God as presented to our spirits by way of said one and only true and living God's Holy Spirit that invades us when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek the Lord God then for the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And to know that you have actually received it is to, as it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you speak with new tongues, with other tongues, my friends. That is the prayer language of God that Satan has no power over, my friends. Some people call it from the devil. Well, they need to go look at the pages of the Bible because the fact is, is if it's from the devil, then God has it in his book. And I don't think that's the case since God created the devil, my friends. He was once the beautiful archangel. He was the head of all the angels, my friends. But through his pride and disgust and thinking that he could be bigger than the one who created him, he fell from grace, so to speak, never to be given entrance to the kingdom of God ever again. He's in the heavenlies now, but my friends, we're talking about this sign of Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. My friends, soon, if you go read Revelation chapter 12, you will find that soon and very soon, Satan will be cast out of the heavenlies above us, and he will no longer be able to go and accuse those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ before the throne of God. He can't enter into the kingdom of God, my friends, but he has access to the heavenlies to accuse. The Bible says so. Look at Job, my friends. 
But soon and very soon, the word of the Lord God says, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for Satan is cast out of the heavens, never to be able to come to them again, my friends. And he's going to be very angry. And that is what's bringing us to the time of Daniel's 70th week or the seven years of tribulation. And I venture to say, my friends, that we're already in that seven-year period. I know most people would have a fit over that, but I do believe that we're further along than most people would think. And I do believe that soon and very soon, this treaty will be signed, which will start when the pin hits the line, as a prophecy recently just said, the beginning of the end will begin. My friends, today is the day of salvation. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to have you understand the word of God. Know it well. Know it correctly for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to walk with you, guide, guide you, and lead you into all truth and righteousness. And that, my friends, is all I have time to say today. With that said, it's a wrap. Shalom, shalom, until we meet again. I believe that we are living in the days John wrote about. The end times are upon us, and of that there is no doubt. Get your mind out of the world. Take your Bible off the shelf. Read the book of Revelations for yourself. Join Streams in the Desert Live each Wednesday at 4 p.m. on Star Worldwide Networks, where your host, Pastor Dana, will examine the headlines of our daily news in light of Bible prophecy. Streams in the Desert Live thanks you for listening, for your phone calls, emails, and as always, your generous love offerings in support of this internet radio broadcast. You may also visit or email Streams in the Desert Ministries, home of Streams in the Desert Live, by way of the website or Facebook page, which can be easily found on the StarWorldWideNetworks.com Streams in the Desert landing page. Until next week, Streams in the Desert Live bids you all much love in Jesus and that the peace of the Lord Jesus be unto you all now and always. And remember, if you're not serving Jesus now, what makes you think you'll be doing it later in heaven?